we continue our series on the Lord's Prayer, and and as we uh, take a look at this next section of the Lord's Prayer, some things began percolating in my head this last week, looking at this particular portion of it, and, and what I was struck with was this, was that there was not one single moment, there was not one single moment when he was their king, when he wasn't looking out for his people's well-being all the time. Not some of the time, but all the time. There was not a single moment when he did not want the very best for his people. There was not a single moment when he, uh, when he would not do whatever he could in his great power to protect them from those who wished to do harm to them. There was not a single moment when he was not good to them. There was not a single moment when he would not figuratively take them by the hand and lead them through all that life threw at them. There was not one single moment when he, as king, did not take care of his people. Not once. But there was a single moment. There was a single moment when his people said the following. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to Yahweh. And Yahweh told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. And let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Will reign over them, will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of Yahweh to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of, the, of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but Yahweh will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before Yahweh. And Yahweh answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Not one moment did the king of kings 
withhold His grace and His love and His mercy for His people. But His people wanted a different kind of king. They wanted a different type of king. And little did they know when they made that proclamation that it would have an impact on them in a way that they could not anticipate. Kings came and went throughout the history of God's people and with each different king, God's people found that there is no king like the one they used to have. They thought they could navigate life just as well. They thought they could do without God being their king. But nothing could be further from the truth. And then it happened. In 722 B.C., the last king of Israel, Hosea, betrayed the Assyrians. And after being under siege for three years, Israel went into exile. An exile that people had been told about centuries prior through Samuel saying things are not going to go well for you. It was an exile that meant great harm, great pain, great isolation, and great oppression. Yet there was still hope. There was still hope because there were the people Judah. Judah was still their sliver of hope. And Judah was still navigating its way through life with different kings and yet... The words that were spoken by Samuel that became true for the people of Israel then became true for the people of Judah in 586 B.C. when the Babylonians came to town and Judah went into exile just like their brothers Israel did that year. This upcoming week, the children are going to be looking at Daniel's life as Daniel and his comrades dealt with being in exile in Babylon. It took courage for Daniel and his friends. It took courage for them to continue down this path of being God's people in a, in a, in a country, in a, in a situation that was not conducive. You see, kings and kingdoms come and they go. One kingdom promises one thing, but rarely delivers. While another kingdom promises something else and rarely delivers. Kings and kingdoms come and go and they all have one destiny and it is this and it is this that one day that particular kingdom will come to an end while another one rises up Through, look throughout the history of humanity and you will see that to be true there is no king or kingdom that lasts forever or is there I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at this next part of the Lord's Prayer. We pray that we would understand that you as king and that you as, as a king as, as, with your kingdom, that it is an eternal one, unlike any other kingdom we've ever seen. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we may see, open our ears that we may hear, open our minds that we may understand, and open our hearts that we would be so committed to your ways, to your reign, to your rule, 
that our lives truly would reflect you. And as we sang that hymn a few moments ago, may the mind of Christ our Savior live in us from day to day. May that be true. And may Jesus Christ be lifted up in our lives. And may He be glorified. May no one hear anything I say, but only what it is that you want them to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we look at this next part of the Lord's Prayer. And unlike any other type of kingdom that had come before Him, we now have a kingdom, Jesus saying, that there needs to be a new kingdom. Jesus knows the history of humanity so very well. He came into a world at that time that was being ruled by a Roman Empire that was gobbling up territory every single day. Yes, they had brought in great advancements for humanity. Yet it was a reign that was oppressive. It was a reign that was cruel. It was a reign that had nothing but intimidation and fear. It was just like every other kingdom that had come before him. It was a similar type of a kingdom, the similar type of a, of a strategy. Get power, gain more power, treat people like pawns, dominate people with fear, and then repeat these steps over and over and over. Every reign has a consistent rhythm to it like that. Every reign may have looked different from afar, but every single one of those reigns was completely the same way. It was completely the same way. And frankly, in 2018, I don't think much has changed. Jesus understands that this is the way things are. Jesus understands that these kingdoms that are based on, the earth, on earthly ways, He understands the way they operate. He understands that they are limited in what they can do. And so in the middle of this prayer, Jesus says this, Your kingdom come. It's a unique type of reign. You may be here this morning wondering why I keep talking about kingdoms and why I keep talking about reigns when it comes to this particular word kingdom. I'll tell you why. It's because kingdom defined as this. It means a reign or rule. What Jesus Christ is saying here is, your reign come now. The way you do things, the way you operate, the way you interact with humanity, that's what we pray to happen now. Jesus prays that God's reign would come into this world. Let you, let's, let's just ponder that for a few moments. Does this world need the reign of Jesus Christ? It most certainly does. And Jesus Christ understands that, and that's why He says this. And Jesus Christ brings in a new type of reign that flips this world on its figurative head. His reign, His type of reign, means that those who have no hope now have hope. His type of reign means that those who have no voice or believe that they don't have a voice now have a voice. His type of reign means that power is not about being served, but it's about serving others. His type of reign means that grace will be the rule of the day, not intimidation and fear. 
So when we come to this line in the Lord's Prayer where it says, Your kingdom come, we can simply say this, Your reign come, Your rule come. That's what we need. That's what we desire. And what saddens me as we come to this place in the Lord's Prayer, what saddens me is this, is that the King of Kings at one time had free reign with humanity. Humanity had everything it needed because this King of Kings always looked out for humanity's best interest. This King of Kings took care of them. This King of Kings protected them. This King of Kings did all these different types of things to take care of them. And now they come to a place, we come to this place where Jesus Christ says, we need your reign. We're inviting your reign to come now. The very one that was there with them all the time, the very one that oversaw everything that they did, and it was simply, it was just like breathing, as natural as breathing, we're now at a place where we have to say, Lord Jesus, may your reign come. His reign invades humanity. That's what Jesus Christ is praying about here. He's talking about an invasion. He's talking about the way things are is not the way they're supposed to be. And the only way that they cannot be that way anymore is through His reign coming down. So I ask you this this morning. Whose reign are you following? Whose reign are you submitting to? Is it the reign of Jesus Christ in your life? Jesus is saying we need to invite that to happen. And when we invite His reign to come, notice what the next line is. Your will be done. You can't have His reign without His will being done. And for some, for, for some, when His reign comes, it means that we need to be a crystal clear reflection of that reign in the way we live our lives. In life, there are a variety of questions that we ask every single day. Number one, what am I going to have for lunch this afternoon? Why do people drive down Blanco like they're competing in the Indy 500? What should I wear this morning? When the Steelers win this next Super Bowl, what is Pastor John going to be like for a while? I'm not sensing a whole lot of support with that one. That's okay. Maybe I ask that question a lot more than you do. But in all seriousness, questions like, how am I supposed to parent my child through this time in their life? What do I do about the rest of the month when there looks to be limited resources to get us through the rest of the month? What do I do about the report I just received from the doctor's office? What do I do for my next door neighbor who's struggling to make it from day to day? We have all these different types of questions and they come at us in a variety of ways. But they come at us. But perhaps one of the biggest questions asked is not those questions. But it's the biggest question that you and I will ask ourselves almost every single day, if not every single day. And it's this, what is God's will for my life? That question is the biggest question. Nobody wants to go through life simply going through life, simply picking up a paycheck and moving on. 
No, people want to know what God's will is in their lives because when they're doing God's will, it has an eternal impact. Remember what I said earlier, every other king, every other kingdom that has been in, in humanity's history has, has a beginning date and has an expiration date. But the kingdom of God, the reign of God, God as king is an eternal one. It has no beginning. It has no end. And so when we ask, what is God's will for my life? What we're asking is this, is how can I make an eternal impact in this world? Because I want God's will to be done. A very straightforward, easy answer to that is this. God's will for your life is the following. To love God and to love people. We have one message here at FBC Salinas and that is it. To love God and to love people. That is God's will. It means this, that no matter what's going on in your life right now, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, it means that's your opportunity to love God and to love people. The other day, Rob and I were at lunch on Thursday. We were up in uh, San Juan Batista meeting with a mutual friend of ours. And as we're eating lunch, we have a great time. We're having a great conversation. Our lunch is over, and we continue to talk. And we're talking about a variety of things. And while we're sitting there, all of a sudden, the server comes out to us. And says, hey, could I ask you guys for your help? And Rob and I and Dwayne look at each other and we say, uh, okay, I guess. I mean, what uh, my initial reaction was, sure, we'll help you out. I think you're going to probably want us to ask to bus our own table. We're okay with that. You might be a little busy. We can, we can bus our own table. Well, little did I realize that there was an 18, there was a tractor trailer that had just pulled up and it had opened the back of it. And on the back of that, there was a refrigerator that needed to be delivered. And so the server looks at us and says, could you help us move that refrigerator to the back of our restaurant? Well, me, being the idiot that I am, had already agreed that we'll help you do whatever you need to do. And so the, two, the three of us looked at one another and we said, what are we going to do? Here we are, we've been talking about Jesus Christ and the impact that he's making in our churches and, and what, what do we need to do? And there was a real temptation for me to just say, yeah, we've got our limits on what we're, what we're willing to do. So the three of us walked over, over to the tractor trailer. Rob is a he-man, he just did it all by himself. He lifted it out of there and just walked it over. No, but we, the three of us, and, and the driver of the truck moved this thing while the employees of this restaurant watched us move this thing. <laughs> and so I thought, hey, we're going to get a milkshake out of this deal. And I said, so do we get any type of kickback? She laughed at me and said, have a nice day. So when we go back, we're going to track her down. No, we're, we're going to say, we did that. No, we're not going to do that at all. But what I'm saying is this. God's will Wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, you love God, you love people. That's God's will. But yes, that's very vague, that's very, very nebulous, and, and, uh, and, and it means it, it's so open-ended. So we, John, let's get a little bit more specific. Perhaps you have consternation about what God's will is for your life, and you're concerned about what that means. 
a quote that's going to come up on the screen right now, and it says this, God's will acts in complete harmony with His character. His will cannot go outside of His character. Therefore, whatever we know to be true of God's character will be true of His will. Is it God's will to cheat on your taxes? No. Reason being, God's character is full of grace and truth. Is it God's will for you to love your family? Yes. God's character led him to lay down his life so that we could all be part of God's family. Is it God's will for you to hold a grudge? No. God's character is one of forgiveness. Is it God's will for you to be so full of anxiety that you try to get more and more control? No. God's character is one that brings peace and has the ultimate say about life. You go through life, you see what God's will is. It is going to be consistent with what His character is. And so when Jesus says, your will be done, what He's driving at is this, is that it's simply living out His reign in your life. And God's will is always pro-humanity. His will is always for humanity. Now let me give some clarification here. That doesn't mean that it mean it does not mean that you as a human being can do whatever you whatever you want to do. What it means is if you're going to be in in line with his will, you're going to be doing something that is going to benefit you down the road. It might be difficult at times, but yet his will is consistent with his character. His character is one of grace. His character is one of truth. His character is one of forgiveness. His character is one of mercy. His character is one of peace. It goes on and on and on. To do his will, to allow his will to come, means that we live lives that are in line with what he is all about. So what exactly does the Bible have to say about God's will? I put together a list, and this is not an exhaustive list. And if you have your Bible, you can, you can try and follow along with me, because we're going to be moving through these things rather quickly, these verses. But I thought it was a really novel idea to find out what the Bible has to say about God's will. There's a novel idea. Find out what the Bible has to say about it. So in Psalm 143, verse 10, we read these words. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. Psalm 143 verse 10 is an invitation that says to us we need to learn His will. Are we willing to be teachable? Are we willing to say, I want to do what it is that you have for me? Then we go to Proverbs chapter 19 verse 21. It says this, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is Yahweh's will or Yahweh's purpose that prevails. His will stands forever. Your will, based on what you want, is not going to stand forever. His will does stand forever. And then we come to arguably one of the most popular verses in the Old Testament found in the, found in the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does Yahweh require of you? To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Many people say that Micah 6.8 is the Old Testament in one verse. It's a verse worth underlining in your Bibles. And then we come to John chapter 6, verse 40. Listen to this. He says this. 
once I find it here. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Let that sink in for a few moments. God's will is that you be rescued, that you be redeemed. That's part of His will. His will is that you believe in Him and experience His goodness. And then we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then Paul says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is His will right there is be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with His presence, be filled with who He is, and and allow that to lead you in your life. And I need to make a correction on this next one. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It'll say on the screen, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, but that's it's verse 3 starting there. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. What is God's will? avoid sexual immorality. And in this world in which we live today, that is a never-ending battle. But it's His will that we avoid sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now I've got to tell you something. This is hard to do. When we were moving that refrigerator the other day after our great lunch, I was not sitting there going, thank God for this opportunity to move a refrigerator. There are moments in our lives, there are circumstances in our lives where this is incredibly difficult for us to do. But here's what God's will is. He wants us to thank God for, for this opportunity. The reason being is this, is because it's when we thank God that we remember that He is with us, that He gives us the strength to do what needs to be done. Are there circumstances in your life right now where you're really struggling to say thank you? I would imagine there are. Ask God to walk you through that time. And then we come to Hebrews chapter, chapter 10. Looking at verse 36, it says this, You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Keep living out His will. Yes, there are times to quit, and, and you're tempted to quit, I should say, but yet God will give you the strength to see it through. And lastly, on this non-exhaustive list, we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at verse 15. It says this, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. 
God's will is that people can see Him and our lives in such a way that those who want to make fun of us, those who want to insult us, those who want to do harm to us can't because of the conduct in which we are, uh, because of the conduct that is informed by Jesus Christ and the way He wants us to live life. God's will. That's what Jesus Christ is praying for when He prays, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. And when we do that, when we live that out, when we allow His will to be what happens in our lives, God's will always brings life to humanity. Those who are around us will have lives that are changed. Those who are around us will see the reality of God's grace. Those who are around us will all of a sudden realize there's much more to life than what I thought. God's will always brings life to humanity. And I wish he had stopped there, really, I do. I wish Jesus had said, your reign come, your will be done, and then he moves on. But that's not the way Jesus operates, is it? On earth, as it is in heaven. On earth, as it is in heaven. The time is now. The time is now for His reign to come. The time is now for His will to be done. Oh, I wish this part wasn't here because then we could pretty much just say, Lord, we want Your reign to come. We want Your will to come. And we're going to move on. And it sort of keeps you out there. But now what Jesus Christ is saying is He's bringing us into this. He's bringing you and I into living out this prayer. He's bringing you and I into living out what this prayer brings to the table. And it's this, and we already talked about this. Our world needs an invasion of God's reign now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next month. But the eternal now. That's what this world desperately needs. Jesus Christ has already come. Jesus Christ has already done the work. He's already rescued humanity. And now is the time for us to share that good news with every person we meet. And in every situation we encounter. Why is that so? It's because of this. Jesus Christ is the only hope for this world. The only hope. A classmate of mine from Wheaton sits in a prison cell in Turkey today. His name is Andrew Brunson. You can look it up. He's there unjustly. He's there because he was representing Jesus in that country. It was being used as a political pawn for that regime there. And I've been praying for Andrew and my fellow classmates from Wheaton have been praying for Andrew that he will be able to live out God's will now in the midst of a really difficult situation. I invite you to pray for Andrew as he goes through this time because it is not easy. And in all of our lives, the only hope that is there is Jesus Christ. And in the darkest places of our lives, the only hope is Jesus Christ. And what we can say is this, when your reign comes, when your will is done, on earth it is as in heaven, we have hope. And that hope changes lives because that hope points people to Jesus Christ. 
And who has that hope today? The church. The church. The church has that hope. It's not look at us here at First Baptist Salinas and, and watch us do what we do on our own. No, the, the world is, what, what we're talking about is a hope based on Jesus Christ. A hope that says that He can use broken down people like myself and you and make an impact in this world. The hope that does not see darkness, it sees opportunity. When we pray, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what we're doing is we're opening opening up ourselves to the possibility that lives will be changed because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you one last question. How can you bring God's will into your world today, tomorrow, next week, next month, and from this day forward. His will that brings hope. His will that penetrates into lives and resurrects lives. His will that always looks out for the best of humanity. So how can you bring that in? I invite all of us, as we contemplate these words, I invite all of us to say, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray as we reflect on these words. We ask right now that you would have mercy on us for being far more concerned about our will than your will. We ask that you would have mercy on us for the countless times that we've put faith in a political party or in in, in some ruler rather than faith in you, Jesus Christ. We've asked that you'd have mercy on us for the countless times that you've provided opportunities for us to to live out your will on earth as it is in heaven. And we've simply seen those opportunities and let them pass right on by. Father, we thank you that it was your will, it is your will, to rescue humanity and that you did not miss that opportunity in Jesus Christ. May our lives be in response to that amazing reality that Jesus Christ lived out your reign, lived out your rule on earth as it is in heaven and that your will was accomplished because of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are in this room right now who are struggling to believe that to be true. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that you would draw them to yourself and that you would use us as a broken people to be declarers of your good news of rescuing humanity so that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Use us, Lord, and may we not stop praying for your kingdom to come, your will to be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.